So it's autumn term, and those of you that have been a part of uh, CBC for a few years or more will know that one of the things that that means is that we're back in the Old Testament. Uh, we tend to do something in the Old Testament in the run-up to uh, Christmas, then after Christmas we do something in the Gospels, and then after Easter we'll do something in the rest of the New Testament. And this is our progress through the Old Testament so far since uh, the autumn 2014. Um, and I am aware that for what, what I hope is a dwindling minority of you, uh, some of you, uh, the Old Testament is not your favourite part of the Bible. In fact, I know that some of you would be happy if we just stuck to the New Testament and never entered the Old Testament at all. And yes, there are some uh, passages and some books in the Old Testament that are, at best, just weird. Um, at worst, they give us real cause for concern and should uh, generate all sorts of questions in our minds. And so, for quite a few of us, it might be that Isaiah or the Old Testament is not a part of the Bible that we are overly familiar with. And so, when we read little bits here or little bits there, maybe one of the reasons that they don't make sense is because uh, we. Um, we don't see the over, where they fit into the overarching story. Um, in Isaiah, he begins by placing the book in its historical context. Uh, for those of you that have done um, the Bible course, uh, you will. I don't expect you to be able to read that, by the way, don't worry. Um, uh, for those of you that have done the Bible course, you will recognize um, the, uh, the diagram um, behind me which they build up over a series of eight weeks, filling in where each of the 66 books of the Bible fits in the big story that goes from creation all the way to new creation. Um, I was going to make my own diagram, uh, but at seven o'clock last night I thought, no, I'm just going to cut this one out of the Bible uh, the Bible resource from the, uh, the Bible Society. So let's just have a look at a part of, let's just look at the Old Testament part of this uh, as we remind ourselves of the story uh, so far. So uh, each autumn we've been unpacking parts of the Old Testament going through um, the story. Uh, if you've, I reckon you probably still can't see this very well, um, Should be one. Oh, there it uh, it's working on the black, but it's too fake. Oh, no, there we go. Genesis, up there. Um, if you've never read Genesis, um, but you are serious about understanding the Bible story, then I would encourage you over the next month or so to take some time to read um, Genesis. So much of uh, what happens later only makes sense if we know how the story begins. And yes, there are some weird bits, but just read through the weird bits and get to the end. And then when you get to the end, start again, and this time go through it again. And every time you have a question, write it down and ask your home group leader <laughs> that question. If they don't know, then feel free to come and talk to me about your questions from Genesis. But in terms of our story today, uh, one of the key characters in Genesis is a guy called Abraham. And 
God promised Abraham two things. Uh, he promised that he would make him a great nation, and that nation was to become Israel, and he promised to give him uh, and his descendants their own land. So they'd be a people, and they would have their own land. By the end of Genesis, uh, we followed Abraham's line down through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now Jacob has his own children. There's a family of about 70-odd, but they are down in Egypt, and that's where the uh, exodus starts uh, with them down in Egypt. Uh, Genesis moves into Exodus, skips forward a few hundred years. Um, God's people are slaves, or this family are slaves in Egypt. But God rescues them through Moses in the book of Exodus. There is this thing called the Passover, which is a, uh, an image which keeps on getting, kind of, it keeps on coming back all the way through the rest of the Old Testament, through the New Testament. So many images come from the Passover. So if you don't know about the Passover, you need to read Exodus. You can see where this is going. Can't you? <laughs> um, uh, and so God rescues them, and uh, they come out of Egypt, and they end up at Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, they agree to enter, the people agree to enter a covenant relationship with God. And probably the most helpful way for us to think about this is to think of a marriage, where each partner in a marriage makes vows and promises to the other. And that is what happens between God and uh, this people. They promise that they will worship only God, that he will be their only God, that they will do all that he asks. And God promises that if they are obedient to him, he will bless them, he will give them the land, they'll be fruitful, etc., etc., etc. But God also warns them and says, if you go off after false gods, if you turn your backs on me, if you rebel against me, if you walk away from me, then I will take you out of the land that I am giving you and give it to someone else. So the rest of Exodus and Leviticus lays out lots of the conditions and terms or expectations of this covenant relationship with God. In the book of Numbers, the people leave Sinai and start to go towards the promised land, but because of their rebellion, recurring theme, uh, they end up wandering around the desert for 40 years. And then Deuteronomy starts with them at, on the border of the promised land. And Deuteronomy is really kind of just one big long sermon by Moses uh, as he's reminding them of all the failings so far of previous generations in calling them to faithfulness to God. And then they go in, book of Joshua, they conquer the land uh, that God has given them. And Judges is then this sorry tale of constant and increasingly bad rebellion against God. This downward spiral of sin and more sin uh, and wickedness. Then we come into 1 Samuel. And where are we? We are there. We come to 1 Samuel and uh, the people reject God as their king. They don't want God as king anymore. They want a person to be king just so they can be like everyone else. And their first king is Saul in the book of 1 Samuel. Second king is King David in 1 and 2 Samuel. And then Solomon becomes king in 1 Kings. 
but after Solomon's death, things get even worse. The whole thing falls apart and the kingdom splits into two, which is what, uh, where are we? This thing here is. So you've got the northern kingdom and you've got the southern kingdom. It's now split in two. The northern kingdom is known as Israel, capital city Samaria, and the southern kingdom is Judah with Jerusalem as its capital. So there's a map. Um, Remember right back at the beginning of the story, God had promised them the land, but he'd said, if you turn your backs and disobey and rebel against me, I will take you out of that land. If you worship other gods, you'll be removed from the land. And all the way through this story, as you read it, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all the way through, uh, at every single turn, it seems as though the people are determined to rebel against God. They want to do their own thing. And so it should be no surprise that this story is heading towards exile, which is what God has warned the people. And so the rest of 1 and 2 Kings um, is pretty much the story of king after king after king rejecting God and doing their own thing. There are a few bright spots along the way, but not many. And one of the things that surprises me about this story is just how patient God is with his people. Uh, If I had been God, there probably wouldn't be much beyond judges. It would have been like, that is the end of it. You are a hopeless case. I'm giving up on you and starting again with something else altogether. But God is patient and he keeps on and on and on giving people another chance. And so this is the section of that uh, blown up um, with some of the prophets. So when you're looking at your Old Testament, if you've got the contents page open in front of you, you've gone from Genesis all the way through to kind of the end of two kings, and that's when they go into exile, as we saw a few years ago. And as we saw last year, they come back from exile in um, Ezra, Nehemiah. And then you have this big block of books called the Prophets. And it's not always easy to see exactly how or where they fit into the story. So kind of Genesis through to Ezra and Nehemiah has kind of been a historical, chronological journey uh, through the story. And then we've got this book of the prophets, and the prophets all fit somewhere in the end part of that story. Uh, And as you can see, oh yes, you you should be able to read that, um, hopefully. Um, so this gives you some idea so for example Amos up there on the left uh, he was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel Uh, you've got Jeremiah was a prophet to the southern kingdom uh, in a period before Isaiah and so you've got different prophets some of the prophets Ezekiel was a prophet during the exile and then you've got um, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi prophets after the exile when the people came back with Ezra Nehemiah. So that kind of, for each of the prophets, we need to know where do you fit in this story. And Isaiah's told us where he fits. He fits during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And so there's a few dates and things for you for those who are interested. So the people have been continually warned 
And part of the role of the prophets was to keep on warning the people, if you keep on going the way you are going, this story is only going to end one way, and it is not going to be good. So, you, uh, so Isaiah was a prophet between 740 to 681 BC. So whilst Isaiah was a prophet in the south, in that time they experienced the northern kingdom, Israel, being taken into exile by the Assyrians. So they actually saw that happen. That warning was visible. What God has said had come about. But as you can see from the timeline on the screen, it's about a hundred years after Isaiah finished his ministry that with these seven more kings after the Hezekiah, that Judah was taken into exile by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. They didn't heed the warnings. Now as a book, um, Isaiah splits into two parts. You've got chapters 1 to 39, and you've got chapters 40 to 66. Uh, the overriding theme in the first part is judgment and warning. But then in chapter 40, it switches to a message of comfort, a message of forgiveness, a message of hope, and a message of looking forward to the coming Messiah. Isaiah says more about the Messiah than any other Old Testament prophets. And so it should come as no surprise that when we come to the New Testament, we will find multiple references back to the book of Isaiah. Some of those will be direct quotes taken from the book of Isaiah, other times, Isaiah, uh, the writers of the New Testament will just be alluding to something that Isaiah said. And if you're steeped in your Old Testament, which is why it's important that we look at these books in the Old Testament, uh, if you are steeped in Isaiah, then the words and phrases in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, in John, that Paul writes, that John writes, others write, they will, they're supposed to trigger us back to what Isaiah wrote all those hundreds of years before. So, for example, sometimes it's a direct quote. So this is Matthew chapter 4, um, where Matthew has taken something from Isaiah and just copied it across and said this is uh, the fulfilment of something that Isaiah wrote. Other times, um, so here's uh, a verse from Isaiah chapter 49, uh, talking about the servant who will be a light to the Gentiles. And so when John has Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, part of what it's supposed to do is send me back to Isaiah and linking the light with the servant and the servant with the suffering servant. And then all these things begin to tie together and I suddenly realise that Jesus isn't just saying, I am the light of the world. He's making all sorts of claims about exactly who he is and about uh, what his role is. Now there are many themes that run throughout the book of Isaiah. Um, judgment and hope are just two of them. Uh, and what we'll discover as we work our way through is that these themes are often intertwined in the same chapter. So it's not possible to say, right, I want a chapter on hope, that's going to be this one. I want a chapter on judgment, that's going to be that one. I want a chapter on Jerusalem, that's going to be that one. Uh, they're all intertwined. But what we're going to do through this series is we're not going to attempt to cover the whole of Isaiah. 
you'll be pleased to know. 60, I mean, it's, got a, it's quite a long book, but if you look through it, it's got quite a lot of white space. It's poetry, and there's lots of white spaces. It's not just all words. Um, so it is long, but it's maybe not as long as we think it might be. Uh, but we're not going to try and cover all of it. We're just going to pick out a few of the key themes as we work our way through. And just uh, reading um, chapter one from that perspective of hearing it as what it would sound like if you were someone living in Judah, we see that we can see why people like Isaiah didn't have an easy time. You don't get an easy time when you stand up in front of a congregation and say you're sinful, you don't know God, you're a brood of evildoers, you're given to corruption. Um, and it's not that the people weren't religious. They made plenty of sacrifices, they went to the temple and made burnt offerings, they trampled into the temple on all sorts of festivals and feasts, but it was all outward. None of it was inward, and so God has stopped listening to their prayers. And so as we read Isaiah this turn, do we need to have the ears and the courage to hear what God is saying to us, even if it's painful, even if it hurts us as individuals, us as a church. Is God going to be challenging us about a religion that's just outward but isn't in, inward, never touches the heart? Their hands are full of blood, there's injustice, the decision makers take bribes, there's oppression, the weak are downtrodden. And again, as we read Isaiah this term, do we need to hear God challenging us over issues of social justice and the way that we treat those who are less fortunate than us. And the charge list against Judah is very long. This is just chapter 1. Isaiah is just getting started. He is just warming up. There is a lot worse to come. But this judgment isn't just about God getting revenge. Its purpose is restoration. Its purpose is purification. In chapter 1, Isaiah uses the language of kind of purifying a metal. You heat it up until it melts and then you scrape off the rubbish off the top and you keep on scraping off the rubbish until what you're left with is pure. Judgment. Through judgment, God is purifying his people. But there is also an offer of hope. Isaiah gives them a choice and he offers hope. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Though your skin, sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land, but if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so as we read Isaiah this term, however it is that God challenges us, whatever it is that God challenges, challenges us over, there is always this invitation to repent. There is always this offer of hope. God offers forgiveness. He offers 
a new start. That's what we've been celebrating and remembering this morning as we've taken communion. Remembering that because of God's great love for us, because of Jesus' death for us, there is hope. There is an offer of a new start. So that's Isaiah chapter 1, very briefly. Um, if you want to kind of get a bit of a heads up on the rest of Isaiah before next week, um, then I would, as I often do, I'd point you in the direction of the thebibleproject.com. Uh, look up their Bible overview series and look for Isaiah. There are two videos, Isaiah 1 to 39, Isaiah 40 to 66, and they will just give you an overview of the whole thing in about, both of them about seven or eight minutes long. So 15 minutes and you'll have an overview of the whole of the book of Isaiah. Let's pray.